This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. <laughs> Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. Here's what's happening in the NHL. The Canadians lead Tampa Bay 3-1. That is late in the second period. Maple Leafs up 2-0 on the Panthers after two. Matthews and Nylander, the goal scorers. Penguins and Hurricanes are 2-2. That's early in the third period. The Blues have a 2-0, uh, pardon me, 2-1 lead over the Philadelphia Flyers. That is after the first. The Kings and the Canucks still to come tonight. Your scoreboard presented by Crystal Glass. Excuse me. Your scoreboard presented by Crystal Glass. For all your glass needs, visit crystalglass.ca. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Oil Kings just getting underway against Red Deer as well. We'll have an update for you uh, next time we do the scoreboard. So the Oilers getting back to practice today. Obviously, before the Christmas break, a couple of games for the Oilers that uh, had some aggressive moments in them. Certainly, the late in the game, well, throughout the game against Arizona, but there were a couple of big scrums and fights late in the game against Arizona. Zach Cassian got himself in a little bit of a trouble against San Jose, wound up getting benched. Todd McClellan today asked about the team being uh, more able to uh, to play aggressive like that. I guess first of all, our ability to respond or to play that way is is a welcome thing in the locker room it provides a sense of security for everybody involved and um, you know as we appreciate the goaltenders for big saves and guys blocking shots on the the penalty kill or Connor uh, scoring a big goal or others doing those types of things there's a role to be played in um, in policing and protection and and we have enough of those players now to to take care of it ourselves if we have to um, you know, at this point, I think our team's felt comfortable. I think it's led to some road wins in tough places to play. Uh, but I will say, and I did tell the players this, that there is a fine line where you can take it too far and it begins to cost you games. And um, I didn't think we had um, uh, a tight enough lid on the discipline or the control of emotion in the last two games than, that we need to have. Um, so it's, it's a catch-22. We don't want to tame the Tiger, but we also want to make sure that... Uh, it's being used appropriately and at the right times. All right, so that is Oilers head coach Todd McClellan as we bring in our inside the game analyst Rob Brown. Rob, he he uh, he didn't mention Cassian by name, but Cassian obviously the one that uh, that wound up getting benched during that San Jose game uh, after also being involved against Arizona. So um, that fine line, right? You want those guys on your team un- until they're getting extra minor penalties, right? Well, and it was the extra one that you're talking about, too. The coaching staff's not going to get mad at a player, especially an aggressive physical player, as a Cassian is, if he goes out and takes a penalty being aggressive. You know, when you're when you're a physical player, sometimes your elbow comes up. You, you, you get a guy from the, the wrong side of him. or that It happens. 
and teams kill it off. It's when you take the dumb one afterwards what kills a coach. And that's what happened with Cassian. He took a penalty. It was the right call. And the Oilers were going to go down for two minutes. But to stay there afterwards, he actually could have got six minutes. Twice he took, he punched the guy, then he, he pushed him over again. Now that, that's not good hockey. That's not smart hockey. And as a coaching staff, you've got to you know, be very adamant, okay, well, this here was okay, this here isn't. Because everybody on the bench is watching. And players are, I mean, what you can get away with, you're going to continue to get away with until someone says no. And as soon as you see where the line is written, then all of a sudden you know where to pull back from. So Tom McCullen had to do it. The message was sent. It's been sent earlier this year with Pouliot. And we've seen since Pouliot was benched and started missing games, he hasn't taken the penalties that he was taking earlier in the season. Players eventually learn when you start pulling away the key ingredient or the key thing in their life, in their hockey life, which is ice time. You know, Rob, it's interesting too, and and because I want to, I want to get into a little bit here on reputation calls, and and you and I agreed after the game on Friday that that Cassian, if anything, maybe got off a little light against the San Jose Sharks. Benoit Pouliot ha- has cut down the penalties. He did get one against Arizona that was was maybe borderline. When players like that get a reputation with officials, how difficult is it for them to shed? that reputation once they have it in, 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 in whatever type of penalty they've shown a, 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 a tendency to take? It's very hard to get rid of because it, the play, referees don't want to be embarrassed. And if a player continually do, does something wrong and you don't catch him, you're embarrassed because all of a sudden the referees see the video of it. They, they get reprimanded from it. So now all of a sudden they, they keep an eye on that player. So now they start making the call and they call the player for the penalties that he deserves. But then it goes another level where the ref glimpses something out of the side of his eye, sees a player goes down, he turns, okay, it's Pouliot again, it's obvious, he puts his hand up. So you start getting calls against you without the ref fully seeing it happen, and that's a reputation call. Oh, it's Pouliot, obviously he did something in the offensive zone, or it's, it's Cassian, okay, yeah. that guy's on the ground, obviously Cassian came up high with the gloves. So it's hard to shake it, and it's not something that gets shook. You know, you know, I'm going to be good for a month and everything's good. They're going to start giving me the the, the respect that I deserve now because you'll you'll have a referee that knows about you. You might not see him for three months, and all of a sudden he comes back. He's not going to see that you've been playing smarter for the last three months. He's only going to remember the time that you embarrassed him by doing something behind the play. So it, it's not easy, and that's why coaches coaches are always adamant with young players. A, you know, be smart out there and, and never, don't be going talking back to the ref. Don't be yapping at the ref. Another thing that referees remember, and they have, they got memories like elephants. They never, ever forget. And it follows guys through their entire career. Yeah, well, I think you make a good point, too, about yapping with the refs. And, and I don't want to make it sound like McDavid has been completely silent with the refs. I mean, we've seen him, certainly after the Kadri goal in Toronto, he said something to the ref. We've we've seen him sort of glance at referees a couple of times, but he's I, I think he's probably laying some important groundwork by generally if he's hooked or tugged, he, he does he keeps moving his feet, he doesn't fall down, he doesn't you know tilt his head back and and, and give the oh my god I just got mugged type of thing right and I mean I know he's a star player but but I I think he he's still young right and referees are probably going to react a little differently to young players than they will to veterans, so he's trying to build up some currency there. Uh, yes and no. I, I, I mean, I watch the Penguins play a lot, and Crosby gets hauled down just as much, or Melton gets hauled down just as much 
and they don't get the calls either. All-star players are going to get hauled down more, and there's going to be more things going on simply because the other team is set out to do that. And if you're in a team, uh, if you're watching a team or a fan of a team with a star on it, you're going to see everything that happens to McDavid. And the Penguins are going to call you up and say, "Well, this has been happening to Crosby for years." The Washington Capitals are going to call up the Webodovechkin, Tavares from the Island. And this is, as Todd McClellan talks about, this is just a way of life. You're a star player in the NHL. Now, as a, a player, if you start whining and crying after every time, they're going to drown you out. So eventually, something that is legitimate, they have a beef about it. The ref's going to say, well, he's just whining again. So the referees, if you talk to them quietly, you talk to them during a commercial break and say, okay, you know what? This 17 is all over me today. I know you might have missed that one. Just keep your eye on it because, I mean, every time. And then they will keep an eye out for it. If you start throwing your head back, throwing your hands in the air and embarrass them, I tell you, it's very hard for them to pull the whistle out of their pocket. If anything happens to you, they do not like to be embarrassed. They do not like to be disrespected. So they want—they are not going to do you any favors. So I think Connor's doing it the right way. I think that as a as a organization, you get in touch with the National Hockey League and say, "All right, here's what we're seeing. We send you some video. Are you seeing this the same way? Are the refs not calling it for a reason?" But for the player, the player just can't. He just takes it. He, he quietly talks to the referees, but you never ever show a referee up. Or just gets a thousand times worse. Rob, do you think that the 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 two referee system has changed the way players can can relate to officials or their expectations for consistency within a game? How, how so? Well, I mean, so I'm skating down the ice, and you tug me, and it's not called. I can go to the one guy that I felt was closest to the play and say, "Hey, watch this guy." That might be lost on the other official. Yeah, but there's more stuff called nowadays because of two refs than there ever was called before. So there's, uh, you, before you could get away with murder. You just right. had to wait until the ref turned his head. Honestly, right. like I, I mean, we would be on the, if you, you would be back checking, and the referee's got to watch the puck. So if you're the, the, the last guy out of the zone and you're mad at that defenseman, you wait till the referee's about half a zone ahead of you, and you two-hand the guy in the back of the knees. Nobody sees it. No call. Nowadays, you don't can't do that because you have another referee trailing you. So there's more, there's there's less opportunity for players to get away with things nowadays because there's two referees. Now, I see what you say. You know what? I'm going to go talk to this referee. We had no idea he wasn't looking at that. It, it, it's tough. I think I think the we are in Edmonton and we see Connor McDavid every game have the other team all over him, and we're up in arms because we're not getting to see Connor McDavid do everything that he does well. Because teams are, I mean, they're more or less saying, hey, do whatever you can until you get caught. And then once you get caught, we'll back off a bit. But Gretzky went through this. Mario, I played in Pittsburgh, and Mario would have two guys on his back skating down the ice without a, a call being made. It's every time Connor McDavid steps on the ice, they could call a penalty on someone on the other team in his minute and a half shift because he is that good, and you have to cheat when you play against him. The referees are not going to call as many, so they're just going to pick and choose the ones that they feel are the worst infractions. Rob Brown joining us on Inside Sports. Rob, just to change gears a little bit, the uh, World Junior Tournament is going on. You're a former World Junior gold medalist. You played in the uh, round-robin version of the tournament. Team Canada won a game yesterday 5-0, where Slovakia had six shots on goal. Uh, you had a couple of blowouts in, in your tournament. 
what what's it like playing in those games and, and does it at all make it I don't want to say harder but does it does it at all change the the focus and intensity needed for the subsequent game uh no it, it doesn't it's fun playing in those games right it, it, it's just it, it, it's stressful I mean it, it's a short tournament and nowadays you know, the entire nation is watching I mean anywhere you go right now anybody I talk to they want to talk they want to talk about, you know, the World Juniors. So everyone's excited and interested and want to see it. And so all these kids have got the pressure that they've never had before in their lives. So to have a, a laugher that they know that they're going to win, it, it feels good. And does it affect them later in the, the, the tournament? It probably helps them because you're getting guys that are getting confidence that don't usually because there's guys that are scoring that don't usually score. You're, you get to play everybody, so you're getting rested. The hard thing about the tournament now as opposed to when I played, in a round-robin tournament, you can have one bad game. In the Once you get into the tournament and you get into the playoffs, you have one bad game, you're out of the tournament. So I think they enjoy having a laugher. They can feel good about themselves, but they'll be able to get refocused and ready for the next one. Latvia next, which is expected to be another quote-unquote easy game, and then obviously they play the United States on uh, Saturday. Rob, L.A. Kings coming up tomorrow night. I will see you at the rink. Going to be good to see the Oilers back in action. Two big home games to close out uh, 2016 here. Appreciate your time, buddy. Thanks a lot. We'll see you tomorrow. As Rob Brown checking in tonight, our Inside the Game analyst. Uh, always love getting Rob's insight, and it is an interesting... I mean, it's like as much as we like to say, well, the refs are... I mean, the refs are impartial, but they are influenced by personalities and past relationships, and I don't think they always treat every team and every person the same. And I'm not, I'm not saying that in the context, oh, the Oilers are getting screwed all the time. I think there have been some penalties on McDavid that haven't been called, and, and I do think there are a couple of Oilers that have earned bad reputations with officials. Now, earned, t- totally earned. Pouliot, Cassian, those things have been earned from earlier in, in their careers, most of which were spent with other teams. But you, I, I don't think you can try to say, oh, refs forget about that each game. They know how players act and have a tendency to act, and I think that certainly influences how they deal with those players. 780-496-0063. You can text 63630 Toronto and Florida, now tied 2-2 early in the third period. It's Inside Sports on 630 Chat. This is Oscar Clefbaum from your Edmonton Oiler, and you're listening to the Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chat. All right, thanks for tuning in tonight. It's 723. Oilers in a tight race in the Pacific Division. We'll talk a little bit about that with Pat Steinberg, Flames Radio Network host, uh, between 7.30 and 8 tonight. little World Junior chat with Sam Cosentino as well. I wonder if uh, Edmonton area product Carter Hart is going to be Canada's goalie going forward, or if it will be Connor Ingram, who had a uh, relatively stress-free six-save shutout yesterday against Slovakia. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks for tuning in tonight. You can text 630-630. Uh, this texter says, I have never heard anyone complain like you guys do about a officiating it's kind of sickening while another texter says uh, they don't see much with two referees nhl worst officiating of all pro sports uh 
this texter says, yes, you may have been able to get away with more before with one ref, but teams had big enforcers who could split the difference. But now those guys no longer exist to the same extent or they can't retaliate like they used to. And uh, this texter says, reputation calls happen in Bantam. I coach Bantam AA, and it happens constantly, and it's hard to change uh, these habits and the calls themselves. Those are some texts here to uh, 630-630. You know, um, all, all well-thought-out points, I think, um, to, to, the, to the person who says it's, it's sickening that uh, we complain about the officiating, I mean, look, I, I don't think I talk about officiating a lot on this show. I think there are times that if something is missed or if there's a call that that is confusing, it's worth addressing and explaining. And there is no two ways about it. The game in Arizona last Wednesday was a badly refereed game, and I think that was part of the story of the game. So I'll say to that texture... I'm not in the business of ignoring storylines in games. I mean, if a game is that horribly officiating, that horribly officiated, that's the equivalent of saying to me, Reed, Connor McDavid got three points tonight, but I don't want you to mention him on the post-game show, and I don't want you to talk about it the next day. I mean, I mean, sometimes it, it's so blatant it has to be addressed, and... And I'm not, and by no means were Rob and I saying that Pouliot and Cassian, for example, are getting unfairly punished because they have earned those reputations. I asked Rob, how do you change that reputation as a player? Is it possible? And, and Rob, I thought, gave a very thoughtful answer on, on why it's difficult. So that's how I would, I would respond to that. Uh, the, look, and the Oilers have benefited from some calls this year, certainly against Columbus. They got a four-minute power play when Milan Lucic high-sticked Connor McDavid accidentally and they gave a penalty to a Columbus player. Now, if the Oilers would have scored on both ends of those power plays and won the game 3 nothing, well, you're darn right. That's a storyline of the game, and that would have been worth talking about. Absolutely. So I don't think I, I don't think we're piling on officials and finding ways to criticism. Hey, they, they have a role on the game, just like other things do. Sometimes it's worth talking about. You can always text 630-630-780-496-0063 is the phone number. Pacific Division Chase is an interesting one. The Calgary Flames are behind the Oilers in the standings, but they actually have more wins than Edmonton. Pat Steinberg will chime in on what's been going on with the Flames, and we'll look at those of the two Alberta teams jockeying for position in that playoff race, and they play each other twice in January. And we could have some mid-season games that will truly be a battle of Alberta. All coming up in the final half hour of the show, straight ahead. Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chet. Oil Kings underway at Rogers Place against Red Deer. No score halfway through the first period. Red Deer won on home ice last night, 3 
nothing. My name is Reed Wilkins. It's Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Sam Cosentino for a little World Junior update coming up later in this half hour. But I'm pleased to welcome to the show from Sportsnet 960 in Calgary. It's the Flames <laughs> radio host, Pat Steinberg. Pat, how you doing, buddy? Hi, Reed. Good, buddy. How are you? I'm doing very well. It's good to have you on the uh, the uh, program again. Did you have a uh, wonderful uh, Christmas weekend, holiday season, fun stuff, it, time? It was wonderful. I'm still waiting for your card, but uh, yeah, it was wonderful. Apparently, uh, apparently, uh, they don't really give the, uh, the old people who work in the NHL much of a drink. How about, how about what the Flames did? They... Not like okay, they're millionaires. We don't have to feel too sorry for them. But they 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 had they played on the Friday. So they played on the twenty third. Had the twenty fourth, twenty fifth, twenty sixth off, like everybody did. They had to fly at six a.m. on the twenty seventh into Denver, and luckily they were taking on the worst team I've ever seen play in the National Hockey League in a long time in the Colorado Avalanche. But uh, they uh, they they flew in and flew out for like a twenty three hour day or something like that. So uh, not not much of a break for the All Flames, but uh, yeah, it was good. How about you? Uh, yes, I've been I've been very good, Pat. The Oilers actually had a, a long break. They have still not, relatively speaking, they have still not played their first game back from Christmas. You can't possibly call the call. I mean, look, I covered an Oilers team that started the year four fifteen and two. That's <laughs> Four, true. So, yeah. you know, there were some bad. There's, there's been some bad Oilers teams in recent memory too. I, I keep forgetting that that Avalanche team's really bad though, and it's tough to. It's tough to wrap your head around why they're as bad as they are. Like, the season's done. Like they are completely done, and we're not even you know into January yet. So they, they're the worst team in the NHL this year. I'm, I'm confident in saying that. Well, three of the the three worst teams in the NHL are all in the West. Vancouver, Arizona, and Colorado are, are all. I mean, pretty much out of the playoff race already. It's seven points for Vancouver, but they'd have to pass four teams. But yeah. but it, it's shaking down really interesting, Pat. And, and Edmonton and Calgary are going to play on back-to-back Saturdays in January, so that'll be fun. Uh, the Oilers are two points up on the Flames with a game in hand. Calgary actually has uh, more wins than... Uh, Anybody in their division except San Jose, but the, the Oilers and, and Anaheim have taken more games to overtime. It, it's been an interesting ride for Calgary because it, it seemed early on they weren't getting a lot of saves. They had Goudreau out, certainly a, a, a much steadier performance over the last six or seven weeks. Yeah, I mean, they, their their season has definitely turned around, and, and I think the biggest reason why and that the number one culprit is is what they've gotten between the pipes. I mean, through October and the first half of November, the Flames with, with Brian Elliott, who they brought in in the offseason to be this team's number one goalie, uh, he he was not making saves. And he was it, was it was far too reminiscent of the 30th place goaltending the Flames got last season with Jonas Hiller and Kari Rambo and, and Yoni Orteo. And, and so they, they went out, they acquired Brian Elliott to be the number one. They acquired Chad Johnson to kind of be a, a solid backup as a free agent. And, and Elliott wasn't getting the job done, man, and he was getting lit up. It started it started on opening night in Edmonton. It carried over into the second half of that back-to-back with two teams and, and wasn't really able to recover. And then all of a sudden, the Flames were five games below 500. The season was very much on the verge of getting away from them in mid-November. They went into Minnesota. It was kind of a fateful night in a lot of ways. On the one hand, um, they get a really impressive shutout performance from Chad Johnson between the pipes to start off what was a, a, an incredible 13-game run for him. And at the same time, they lost Johnny Gaudreau that night, 
with the slash that busted his finger, and he missed 10 games as a result. And from that point forward, you know, Chad Johnson went on this run where for 13 games, he started 13 and 15. He had a 947 save percentage in those 13 games. And, and he, I don't want to say single-handedly, but he was the driving force behind a Flames turnaround. And then as Chad Johnson was giving the team high-quality goaltending, not just number-one quality goaltending, he was giving them elite-level goaltending there for, for about a month. And while that was happening, Sean Monaghan's season, which was horrible for the first month and a half, it was starting to turn around. Christopher Steve got healthy, and, and he returned to the lineup, and he's been a huge boost. Johnny Gaudreau only missed 10 games, so he got healthy, and he's looked like a dynamo since returning. Mark Giordano and Dougie Hamilton formed a pairing, and they've turned into a true number one pairing on this team. Uh, so there's a lot of things that I think Chad Johnson stabilizing between the pipes allowed to happen for the Flames in front of them. And, and since that time, they've been a pretty decent team. I, I, don't, I still don't think they're a bona fide playoff team. I still don't think that they're um, you know, a, a team that challenges necessarily for a division all year long, but they've turned themselves from being near the bottom of the conference, which they were early in the season, to, okay, now they're in the mix with Edmonton, with Anaheim, with Los Angeles, uh, with Nashville, with Dallas, with Winnipeg, and I think that's where they're going to stay. I, I don't see, you know, of, of any of these teams in the mix right now, I, I don't really see... The Oilers, the Flames, the Kings, the Ducks. I don't really see teams dropping off at this point, and, and I don't see Calgary dropping away either. That doesn't mean they're going to be a playoff team because there's only so many spots to go around, but they certainly have salvaged their season so that January, February, March are meaningful. And, you know, in, in early into mid-November, it, it didn't necessarily look like it was going that way. Well, Pat, it's an interesting race because... Right now, and look, things could change over the next 48 hours drastically, but, I mean, right now the Pacific Division has five playoff teams, and, and most mm-hmm. people would have said, no, 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 it's going to be the Central. And, it, and like I said, in three days it could be. you got San Jose 45 points, Edmonton 42, Anaheim 41, Calgary 40, and L.A. 38. Out of the playoffs, Dallas, Winnipeg 37, Nashville 36. You know, and then I mentioned Vancouver, Arizona, and Colorado are, are kind of really, really trailing behind. Um, so, I mean, that makes it really interesting to me because, you know, I, I'm wondering what, when you do look at that group, if we want to include Dallas, Winnipeg, and Nashville – is there a team that you think right now is is too high and just can't maintain it? And it is a modest pace. I mean, let's face it. Uh, like I said, even the Oilers, second in their division, are 11th overall. Is there a team that you think they, they can't maintain it? And is there, you know, a Dallas, Winnipeg, Nashville, or even L.A. that you think is best poised to, to go on a run? Because let's well, face I, it, a lot of people said Nashville might win the conference a few months yeah. ago, right? Well, I, I, the team still jumps off the page to me is Los Angeles because you know, take a look at their shot base metrics. They continue to be strong. They, they continue to outshoot opponents. And and I think that you know, even watching them play, they still look like a formidable group. And, you know, Peter Budai has done an outstanding job for them uh, since Jonathan Quick goes down. But with Quick coming back sometime in the new year and with this team, you know, I, I think still – uh, one of those groups that can get on a run in terms of the players that they have and the way that they play. I look at Los Angeles as a team that I don't think is going to run away or anything like that. I don't think that Los Angeles has you know a second half of the season in them like Anaheim had last year. Uh, but I, I look at LA as a team that I think could maybe steadily climb 
uh, and, and steadily move themselves up the Pacific Division chart. And, and of those Central Division teams, I mean, I, I was one of those guys that thought Nashville was going to be fighting near the top of the conference as well, and they've been very disappointing. Uh, and and, and I'm, not, I'm not as confident that they necessarily turn things around. I still wonder about the Dallas Stars. Like Dallas is uh, horrid goaltending. We know that, and it's going to be tough for them to make a to, to make a deal, but with all that offense, they were able to deal with you know mediocre to average goaltending last year, and still be a high-end team that finished with triple-digit points. I still think there's more to come from Dallas, and especially if if they can get you know an, an uptick in play from John Klingberg and the blue line, and you know maybe they can have that that back end maybe take a little bit of a step forward. I, I still wonder if Dallas is a team that they can't really start to challenge for these wild card spots and, and maybe move their way up the conference. So those are the two teams that jump off the page to me. Uh, Los Angeles, just with the way they play, that possession brand of hockey that they play, uh, they, they outshoot opponents. Uh, and with Jonathan Quick returning, I, I, I think that they've got a chance to move themselves up. And Dallas just intrigues me because, you know, they've had so many injuries. Who hasn't been hurt this year? You take a look at their injury list sometimes, like six and seven key guys long. And, and as that starts to rectify itself, and maybe you can see that uptick from an important guy like Klinkberg, maybe they can can maybe start to climb things up as well. Dallas minus 16 in gold differential, which kind of which kind of stands out as well. Hey, Pat, before I let you go, just want to change gears a little bit. We're, uh, we're coming yeah. up to the turn of the calendar, so it's that time of year where uh, people are making lists and, and, and voting for stuff. I, I, and, and just broadcaster or not, I think it's an interesting question for a sports fan. 10, 20, 50 years from now, is 2016 simply going to be remembered as the year Cubs, the Cubs finally won? Or, or is there another story or two that can compete with that? Well, I was, think, I was thinking about that when, when you were texting me uh, sweet nothings earlier and you said that you're going to prepare me for that question. I was thinking about it. Okay, well, the Cubs are clearly the number one story of 2016. And, and, and I think in 50, 100 years, yes, the Chicago Cubs breaking there. Century long curse and and finally winning the World Series will, I think, always be the resounding moment of 2016. But then I start to think about it. You know, what stands out to me from a sporting standpoint in 2016 is how. You know, you and I doing talk shows and covering sports, we cover the same sports. We cover the NFL, we cover the NHL, we cover Major League Baseball, the NBA, and CFL. And in all five of those sports leagues, the championships this year had way more intrigue than usual. So the Cubs and and that seven-game instant classic World Series with Cleveland is, is absolutely a no-brainer. But think about the Cleveland Cavaliers down three games to one to the powerhouse Golden State Warriors. LeBron James taking the Cavs on his back and saying, all right, we're winning this thing. But I, I'll, I'll never forget LeBron in game five, six, and seven and what he did. And, and you know, the, the block in game seven. And I think, I think we'll look back on the, on the 2016 NBA final and say, wow, that was a classic. And the Stanley Cup final with Sidney Crosby, who had the awful start to his season. And all of a sudden in 2016, kind of right at the turn of the calendar from 15 to 16, Crosby returns to Sidney Crosby, leads his team with Mike Sullivan on the bench to a Stanley Cup. And, and, and that was, there's, there's Sidney Crosby reclaiming his throne. If there was any argument uh, with authority that he's the best player in the National Hockey League, then Peyton Manning going out on top in, in the NFL, winning a Super Bowl uh, with the Denver Broncos in a perfect way for one of the greatest of all time to retire in one of the transcendent defenses in 
NFL history to, to win a Super Bowl over this upstart Carolina Panthers team with Camp Newton. And then, you know, the one that resounds maybe most down here in our city is the Ottawa Red Blacks, a below 500 team with a former Calgary Stampeders quarterback and Henry Burris uh, taking out this generational Stampeders team that had a chance to cement themselves in history as one of the two or three greatest single-season teams of all time. And in an instant classic Grey Cup, Henry Burris, at the age of 41, turned back the clock 10, 15 years and put together a performance that I will never forget in a single game against the defense and against a team like Calgary. Henry Burris was was unbelievable on on that late November night. So I just I just look back at 2016. It's all five championships of the sports that we cover most were some of the most memorable of all time, and it was kind of all hit by by the Cubs winning a World Series. Yeah, well, that's a great point. I mean, certainly one of the greatest great Cup games of of all time. Though I know for Calgary fans, it was it was a different experience. I mean, for me, and I I don't think history will remember it this way because I think the the careers of these gentlemen will be remembered more than the year they passed away. But I mean, we lost both Arnold Palmer and. Um, and Muhammad Ali this year, right? And and Gordy Howe, and, and, and right, and Gordy Howe. And would the sports that they play have have become um, what they eventually became without those men? I, I mean, maybe who knows would have who would have come along next, or who the public might have latched on to. But yeah. I, I think those are all three guys who are in some ways associated with more of the TV generation of their sports, is that fair to say? And and getting yeah. more attention through that medium? Yeah, I, and I think that that's, that's three, I mean, potential greatest of all time who passed away in the same year. Arnold Palmer, absolutely. Like, Jack Nicholas, debate, Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, but Gordie Howe's on that Mount Rushmore. Arnold Palmer's on that Mount Rushmore. And, and Muhammad Ali is on that Mount Rushmore. And for them to all pass away, and, and in a very kind of short period of time together, was uh, was was obviously sad, and yet it gave us all an opportunity to really appreciate and remember just how important they were. And so, yeah, I think that that was that also came to my mind when I was thinking about it today. That you know, not only do we we, we lose we lose people every year, it's a fact of life. But you know, for three potential greatest of all time uh, people like that and their respective sports to pass away in, in a single year is, is certainly noteworthy and, and not something we see very often. Hey, Pat, thanks for your perspective, man. It's going to be fun watching this division, and it looks like we'll have two legitimate Battle of Albertas in January. So I look forward to that. Appreciate your time, buddy. Hey, Finally. No more pillow fights. (laughs) Exactly. The the, the light spar of Albertas become a battle again. All right, good stuff, buddy. Appreciate it. Right on. That's Pat Steinberg checking in. Sports at 960 in Calgary. Quick timeout. We'll update the scoreboard and a little bit of World Junior chat with Sam Cosentino. Hey, this is Jordan Everly from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. World Junior Update, United States leading Slovakia 5-1 late in the third. Earlier, Sweden beat Switzerland 4-2. Canada plays Latvia tomorrow. Sam Cosentino covers junior hockey and the World Juniors for Sportsnet. Sam, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Yeah, everything's great. Thanks. Looking forward to continuation of this World Juniors here, but everything's good. Yeah, it is the season, eh? That's what uh, this time of year is known for. Boxing Day sales and the World Junior Tournament, right? So, <laughs> that's, uh, that's what it goes. It, it was it was like uh, 10 shots for the price of one yesterday in the Canada game. Hey, man, what a shooting gallery. <laughs> 
Yeah, you know what? A bit too much. So hey, I'm not always a big fan of seeing those those types of types of games. But unfortunately, that's the way it goes when you have a pretty big disparity between uh, between clubs. And yesterday, uh, that was clearly evident. I think against Latvia, pretty much anyone who's played Latvia to this point has been the same way, and um, probably be that way for Canada and its uh, next game on the 29th. And then they got the United States coming up on the 31st, and that's uh, and that's always a fun game. So we can probably make an assumption Canada's 3-0 going into that game. How do you look forward to that matchup against the United States? Is there a favorite in your mind? Well, I, you know what? I, no, I think it's pretty even, to be honest. I think both teams have good forward groups. Both teams have question marks on their back end. Both teams, at least to this point, haven't been tested. I wouldn't expect the U.S. to be tested against Slovakia uh, later this evening. So I, 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 my thoughts are it's going to be pretty even Stephen going into it. Um, and I'm fascinated to see the end result. Uh, having said all that, the importance of this game is going to put pressure on both teams to, to really come out and try and what I think will ultimately decide the, the group winner. You know, we got some local connections to Team Canada. Tyson Jost is from St. Albert. He's playing for North Dakota. Colorado took him 10th overall in 2016. Uh, you know, seems to me here he's come out with with something to prove. He was, he was on the score sheet in the pre-tournament games, and he's looked pretty dangerous to me so far in the tournament, Sam. Yeah, really good player, a guy who can play, uh, you know, naturally a center, but for this particular event, getting uh, some time on the wing. Hard worker, excellent with the puck, protects it well, has dogged determination. The guy that I really came to love last year uh, after spending a little bit of time with him before the, the NHL draft and just getting to know his story, how he and his sister were raised by his mom and how he took off to the the Okanagan to, to further his hockey career, moving away from his mom because he thought that would be the best thing for hockey. You know, I'm always a huge CHL guy, and I would have loved to have seen him in Everett, but I also have a lot of respect for a guy who says, Here's what I'm going to do, and I'm not deviating from that plan, and that is go to the University of North Dakota. And so I, I give him credit for sticking to his guns, um, for being a man of his word, uh, for being a, a wonderful character player, and I see him as a, as a future captain in the National Hockey League. Yeah, well, great praise for him for sure, yeah, and he's looked impressive. You know, it's, I, I got to ask you about the goaltending situation because Carter Hart's another Edmonton area kid. You got Connor Ingram in there as well, two obviously excellent WHL goalies. And I, and I know, you know, they they were evaluated throughout the pre-tournament games, but I'm also wondering, how does the coaching staff evaluate the goalies? Like when one guy faces single-digit shots, right? Yeah. <laughs> and Hart played against Russia. <laughs> I mean, how do, you, how do you actually fairly say which goaltender played better in the meaningful games? Yeah, unfortunately, you can't really. I mean, Ingram, you just... Just write that performance off because it was only six shots. But Hart, two of the three goals, I wasn't particularly fond of against the Russians. Um, but you know he's had the very rare off night in Everett, which probably looked uh, similar to what you saw against Russia, and has always bounced back. I mean his numbers over the course of the last two seasons really proved that. Um, what's going to be fascinating for me is, is seeing who starts against Latvia because I really truly believe that the goalie who starts against Latvia will play likely his last game of the tournament um, and I think that the goalie who does not start against Latvia will be the guy who starts against the U.S. and likely carry the ball the rest of the way and right now I just have that gut in instinct that that's going to be Connor Inger. 
Okay, I gotcha. Hey, Sam, thanks for checking in on the tournament. Always fun to watch. It's always a great, enthusiastic time to be Canadian. Hope we can do this again soon, man. Okay, thanks so much, Reed. Sam Cosentino, World Juniors tomorrow, Canada. Latvia Oil Kings leading Red Deer 2-0 after the first period. In the NHL, Leafs and Panthers are in overtime, tied 2-2. The Penguins have defeated the Hurricanes 3-2. Habs up 3-2 on the Lightning with five minutes left. Flyers and Blues 2-2 after two. Kings and Canucks start in about 10 minutes. Kings are here tomorrow to play the Oilers. 5.30 face-off show on Jed. 7 o'clock for the drop of the puck. The producer of Inside Sports is Dave Campbell. The studio producer this evening, Kellen Kennedy. My name is Reed. Wilkins, Charles Adler tonight is up next. Thank you so much for listening. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.